citizens, welcome to the Fortress of Potitude. I'm Dave Michaels. I'm Brian Betts. And this is Beer Me a Movie. It's a, another movie podcast. Another one. It's another one. Because there weren't enough. We made one more. You know what people will need to hear? My opinion about movies. <laughs> no one is asking. I guess the download makes you curious. I get that. And we appreciate everybody who does give the downloads. You got your own opinions, folks. What are we doing here? What are we actually accomplishing, Brian? <laughs> what is the point? It's an excuse to drink. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. When we're, like, right on. And throughout. I don't know about you, but uh, Daddy Want Boozy. Yeah. Yeah. It helps the movie go down. We also score the movie based on science. Uh, with scientists and astronauts and numbers coming from our stupid There's a brain. Lot. The opinion thing again, it's on my There's mind. a lot of calculations, uh, <laughs> a lot of deep dives, research, figures. Booze. booze. Arbit arbitrary <laughs> opinions. <laughs> Numbers that feel good from the gut. Uh, sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, can I tell you why I'm amazing? Why is that? Because this week it was my pick, and I beard you 2002's Big Fat Fucking Liar, directed by Sean fucking Levy. Yeah, you sure did. Wow. You've never seen this? Never seen it, and completely out of left field. For the first half hour watching, I was like, why did Dave pick this? And by the end, I was like, I completely understand why Dave picked this. <laughs> there was uh, a lot of exposition at the front just to get to Paul Giamatti, Tom Fuckery shenanigans just so many and they ensue no shenanigans have ever ensued at this level <laughs> it's pretty damn good what'd you think of the movie as a whole besides the shenanigans it was fun it's a fun movie i it's definitely a kid's movie there's a lot of stuff in there that if you think about it too hard with an adult brain it breaks but no 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 if you barely think about it, if you apply the tiniest bit of brain juice to it like a, a dropper of it it's ridiculous but that almost makes it more fun. I agree. And me being the, hey, I like watching movies about making movies, idiot. This one's oh. a weird one. <laughs> as soon as they started running through backlots, I was like, yep, I know why Dave picked this. Absolutely. You give me a backlot in a movie like Pee-wee's Big Adventure or Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah. I'm in. Completely So in. much fun. Because you can do anything you want. It's great. You want to give this thing a score? You want to figure it out? Yeah, let's figure out the score on this thing. We start out with story motivation, which, of course, we have a lovely script here prepared by one writer, McStrikely. I feel like you need to explain who writer McStrikely is again. I, we have not. It's been a while. Explained his origin story in quite some time. Writer McStrikely is our AI producer of the show who likes to write us scripts so we can summarize the plot of these movies and get to our story motivation score. I'm terrified to see what he wrote for this thing. <laughs> I think this is going to be a fun one. What do we got? I will be playing Janie Shepard, uh, the sister who is in this movie for about five seconds. <laughs> yep. And you're going to be playing a therapist. That seems appropriate. And I encourage you to have as much fun with it as you see fit. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It's going to be another one like last week where you don't have a lot to say, but when you do have things to say, you might want to ham it up. Ham. All right, I can think of the hamsiest voice I could do. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Big fat liar. Story motivation. Action. The stage is set in a dimly lit, cozy therapist's office. 
There's a worn leather couch where Janie Shepard, a teenager with a look of frustration and neglect, sits facing the audience. She's holding a conversation with an off-camera therapist whose responses are heard but not seen. <sighs> you know, it's... Always about Jason, Frankie Munez. Jason did this. Jason did that. What about me? I'm practically invisible in this family. And now he's off gallivanting in L.A. and I'm here talking to you. She makes it seem like she wasn't going to go hang out with a dude bro. He exists in this movie, too, for a hot second. The classic early 2000s. Oh, what's up, bro? Peace, bro. Yes, you're my bro, bro. <laughs> cool, dog. All those phrases that we know and love, that we totally miss so much. It was the bomb. It was the bomb. But that's what she's doing this entire movie. She's choosing to go to a therapist. I don't even think Frank Muniz took the second to be like, hey, brah, gone to L.A., brah. No, he was just like, all right, later. Also, Frankie fucking Muniz. Yeah, there was a time and place for him, and it was then. It was absolutely then, although he has lived a fascinating life. He really, really has. You might know... You know, the titular Malcolm in the middle and, you know, Agent Cody Banks. And you might even know that he drives race cars now. But what you might not know is he was also in a band. Okay. He's just living every teenage boy's fantasy. Still. He's like, yeah, I'm a actor, race car driver, uh, musician. What's up? <laughs> oh, my God. I want to say, like, oh, he'll figure it out when he grows up. But that's Frankie Muniz. That's a boy for life. He's older than us. Yeah, he is. I also found out this week that Amanda Bynes is a year older than me, which I did not think was possible, but here we are. Like, at the time? Like, when you were watching her back then? She's still actually a year older than me, Dave. No, I understand how time works, but I'm saying, which part (laughs) blows your mind more? Um, Just in general, that she's always been older than me. Okay, I can understand that, because, like, when we're growing up and we're watching her on TV and all of her various shows and whatnot, you're not thinking, like, wow, she is only one year older than me. She was always the little kid on all that. And I was like, oh, that's the little kid. But she was older than me. Yeah, we were little kids, man. And we stayed pieces of shit longer than her. I mean, she's catching up now, but still. (laughs) She's putting in work. She's got some issues, man. Hope she's getting those sorted out. Absolutely. Speaking of therapists. Speaking of therapy. Sorry, I'm riding a Segway tonight. (laughs) Oh, oh, tell me more about it. Makes you feel, Janie. <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm the only sane person in a family of lunatics. Jason, my little brother, the pathological liar, decides to skip summer school and head to Hollywood to confront some big shot movie producer. It's like a plot out of one of those movies he loves so much. The kid can lie, like really, really, really badly, but the people around him believe it, and that's all that really matters. <laughs> It is convincing to the people who have to read the script of this movie. I think I just solved the Republican Party there. Not a political podcast. <laughs> Frankie Muniz's character is like spinning all these tales about why he has to sneak in through a window or something. And also this school. Can we talk about this school? Let's talk about the school. They're, they're slamming doors at a certain time. Literally a kid in running his up face. To it. <laughs> it's like, what do you expect this kid to do now? Just looks at the window. Absent! <laughs> Bell rang, you truant. And Sandra O. Oh. Sandra fucking O. Oh. She's in this movie, yeah. She's just falling for all these shenanigans. She's on the phone with Frankie thinking it's his dad. and I guess maybe not because she does actually call him in afterwards, but... <laughs> <laughs> it was the ultimate con. She lied to the liar. 
That's politics. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, intriguing. And how did this escapade begin? It's ridiculous. Jason writes this creative writing paper, right? A story about a compulsive liar. But it somehow ends up in the hands of the sleazy producer, Marty Wolf. Paul fucking Gia fucking Marty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who turns it into a blockbuster without giving Jason credit. Only in Jason's world. Deception! A dark twist of fate indeed! And then? Oh, it gets better. Jason and his friend Kaylee, Amanda Bynes, they fly to L.A., hijack a limo, sneak onto the Universal lot, and embark on this absurd mission to make Marty confess. It is an absurd mission. <laughs> Absolutely. So how do these post-9-11 teenagers <laughs> get tickets to L.A.? calling them now? <laughs> well, it was 2002, right? No, I understand that. <laughs> But the way you like word of that is like, yeah, kids became teens after that. They don't get it. <laughs> I mean, they had to fly to L.A. and then just like, all right, I guess we figure this out in a day or live on the universal lot. Yeah, all of that, because it makes tons of sense when you think about it. <laughs> well, right. We said we shouldn't think about it. Don't <laughs> apply thought. Oh, boy. Keep going. They steal his Palm Pilot, break into his house, dye his pool and his skin blue, turn his hair orange, get him assaulted, and they even mess with his car's wiring. It's criminal, but to them, it's just a game. The car's wiring is the one I can't buy, believe it or not. She holds up the manual. She, so Yeah, I understand that. The <laughs> manual doesn't have like a chapter in the back like, oh, if you want to fuck around with cars, we also have a preview of the Anarchist Cookbook. <laughs> all you have to do is take all these wires and resolder them to different areas and hilarity will ensue. <laughs> Promise it, it won't be damaging. It's like the cheat code for cars back then. Unplug this from here and plug it in there. And when this guy hits the brake, it'll just make his horn honk. I pimped your ride. <laughs> Yo, dog, I heard you like fucking with people. <laughs> That'd be like the craziest pimp your ride ever. He just takes the car, rolls it into the shop, literally snips one wire, <laughs> snips another wire, puts them different together. They just roll the car back out. And it's like, that's that, uh, still my, my LeBaron. It doesn't look any different at all. <laughs> you didn't put a Nintendo in there or nothing. Well, and the best part is that when he gets in the car, he turns the car keys on, the car explodes and he <laughs> dies. And it turns out it was an East first West thing brought back. Oh uh, yeah. Wild card bitches. Caught him sleeping. I cut the brake line. Charlie, why would you cut the brake line on an R van? Wild card, <laughs> bitches! Oh, oh, a color for caper. What about the consequences? That's just it. There are none. They recruit all these actors and stunt people Marty's wronged, and they pull off this elaborate charade to expose him. And in the end, Jason gets his movie made, his story told, and he's the hero. No summer school, no grounding, nothing. Doesn't make any sense. Any of it. It doesn't. Jason pretty much goes on the lot, stands on the roof like he's Spartacus some shit and says, fuck this guy. And then anyone who yelled, fuck this guy and came to him. <laughs> that's how we recruited him. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, no, that guy's the worst. He really is, though. 
He is the worst. He's so the bad. Worst. He's somehow worse in private than he is in public. Every scene That's how bad he is. that pops up, you're like, oh, this guy's even worse than I thought he was. He has no redeeming qualities at any point. Nope. Never. Paul Giamatti plays the perfect villain. He absolutely does. Casting? <laughs> Hold on to your butts. We, we'll get we'll there. We'll get there. <laughs> well, that's just bananas. How does that leave you feeling, Jamie? Invisible. Forgotten. It's like I don't even exist unless I'm part of Jason's shenanigans. I just want to be seen, you know? For who I am. Not just as Jason's sister or part of his crazy schemes. O-E-R! A poignant plea for recognition! Your feelings are valid, Jamie! Thanks, Mr. Funny Bones. You always know what to say. Janie gets up and walks over to the chair, picking up a stuffed monkey wearing a tiny therapist's vest. She looks at it affectionately. <laughs> at least I can always talk to you, even if you are a bit unconventional. She sets the monkey back in the chair and exits the room, leaving Mr. Funnybone staring blankly ahead, his stitched smile unwavering. E-E-R-R! That'll be $150 for the session, please! <laughs> it was Mr. Funnybones! The, yeah, great. The what a stuffed twist. monkey. Whoa! That, I, I, that roller coaster ride, Brian. Uh, <laughs> what did you do? Marty Wolf and his little sidekick, his only friend, Mr. Funnybones. That's right. It's his monkey. His toy monkey that he sleeps with, that he dances with. <laughs> uh, Paul Giamatti's never had a better screen partner. That's true. Everything that chicken wasn't giving Jaleel White, Mr. Funnybones was giving Paul Giamatti. Jaleel White's in this movie, yeah. As Jaleel White, which is fantastic. Yep. Well, he wanted to start getting into more serious roles, break away from the Urkels. And the producers went up to him and said, we're going to make an Urkel joke right in your fucking face, Urkel. Yeah. And also, once you have your revenge, you're going to go Urkel out. It is pretty good. It's excellent. Story motivation. It's probably like an eight or a nine, but let's talk about the issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's. <laughs> Let's talk about the issues. Uh, I know the biggest one, and it's reality. Right. Yeah, that's a tough one. Producer finds a paper, reads it, fine. Him going on Geraldo or whatever that was, talking about the biggest movie of next summer, the, the following year? Yeah. That's just been announced? <laughs> oh, everybody's really excited for this movie that they just found out about. Jason Shepard going to California and hunting this man down in the span of... Probably only like three days, really. Two days. Yeah, it was a long weekend. His parents were away at the spa or whatever. And then this movie getting pitched in front of a room full of people and the president, played by Russell fucking Hornsby, who yes. fucking rules in everything he does. Absolutely. And from that pitch, the president, Russell fucking Hornsby, goes up to him and says, hey, that pitch was awesome. I know we're at the launch for a totally different movie. <laughs> that's the one you want to make i know that i know you stopped the party to talk about your next movie at this movie no one else is upset about that even though this movie totally bombed the president says you start filming tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> i also love that the president of marty wolf pictures is not marty wolf nope it's and marty wolf's marty name is wolf. <laughs> his whole job is on the line over this one picture that starts filming tomorrow Unless he's like the Bruckheimer of the whole situation, and Could Bruckheimer's be. just like, I'm partnering with Sony. Maybe he's the Sony. <laughs> Maybe he's Sony. 
But just that entire process, just to squeeze this into a nice weekend for the character who escaped summer school. <laughs> I find it ridiculous. It's absolutely obscene. <laughs> and it's not, I'm not saying like ridiculous in like a, that's stupid, silly. I'm saying ridiculous in a, ugh, come on. You know, even my one and a half year old would look up and be like, no. I don't think this could actually happen. <laughs> this seems kind of outlandish. Does Amanda Bynes' grandmother really not recognize that this 14, 15, 16-year-old boy is not her granddaughter? And why does the bully get roped into this thing? Because that's the bully. He took Jason's skateboard earlier in this thing and then rubbed it in. And then for some reason, he's at Amanda Bynes' house when they show up. <laughs> oh, she was tutoring him because he was also in summer school. Okay. And then they, they agreed to do his homework for the entire next year if he just... Pretended they to be Amanda Bynes. Yeah, when she's doing the homework before, not important. They're totally hooking up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, she's <laughs> certainly not hooking up with Frankie Muniz. And he's certainly not hooking up with her either. It's a yeah, weird actual friendship. And it's pretty refreshing, actually. It really, really is. Like, if there were undertones on this thing, I'd be like, oh, god damn it. At no moment do you even think they might. It's it's nice. It's like, all no, right, this never is gets just there. a silly little goof em up well done in that aspect movie. In that aspect. I'm, I'm, I'm going with a six, obviously. It's Home Alone uh, it's, reversed, kind of. It's a, bad, it's a reverse <laughs> Home Alone. <laughs> yeah, six. Let's talk about casting. Through the fucking roof. This cast is fucking insane. Frankie Munez, one of the biggest TV stars of that era as the lead of this movie. Amanda yeah. Bynes. One of the biggest actresses of that era, especially mostly focusing on the kid aspect of it all. Yeah. So I think she was to get there. Donald Faison. Fucking Turk. He is the limo driver in this thing who's uh, part of the fuck that guy crew. <laughs> the fuck that guy crew. Lee fucking majors. Yeah, that's a hard stop right there. That's fantastic. All you need to know is that Lee majors is in this movie. Yeah, I'm in. John Cho. Taryn Killam, Jolie Hill White, and my favorite of all, I don't think she made it, or I don't know who it is, but one word, person who plays Graham Pearl, his name, Sparkle. Fucking Sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> she's fantastic. It's wonderful. She's, she's doing curls with the yarn balls. I love it. I'm going nine. Easy nine. Yeah, nine is perfect. I, I agree. This is so good. Giamatti is an incredible villain in this movie. Giamatti's untouchable. At the beginning, I was like, was he just trying to do a Nick Cage? No. No, not even not close to a Nick Cage. I don't he think is... Nick Cage has ever been this unconscious of himself. Yeah. He is just Giamattiing all over the screen. They had also talked to Peter McNichol, Bradley Whitford, Jim Carrey, Joe Pesci, Willem Dafoe, Peter Green, Alec Baldwin, and James Woods. They were going for a certain type for they sure. <laughs> absolutely were. And then I guess Lindsay Lohan was attached to this right up until a few weeks before filming. And then she dropped out. And that's when Amanda Bynes was tapped. That's kind of like a like for like, really, when I think about it. Yeah. You do the celeb math there. It equals out pretty well. <laughs> so at that time, they were both pretty good. All right. Get them in there. <laughs> that's right. They're both on the up and up. But like. They're definitely angling towards that plateau. They're they're cresting for sure. <laughs> uh, Lindsay's making a comeback, I think. She's trying to. Slowly but surely. She had her Ibiza years, or as they say it, Ibiza. Ibiza. <laughs> I took Spanish in college. I had never 
really taken a true language before that. I took Latin. That's bullshit. Exactly. Yeah, I took Latin too. It was silly. So my first semester in college, no problem. Spanish was easy. Second semester of college when I took, I was like, I'm going Spanish too, baby. I'm f- cruising through this. I feel great. See, cruise. There's a Spanish joke. That, yeah, with a Z. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Second semester, it's a Spanish-speaking yeah. hard Spain part like of it. You, you show up and they say hola, and you're like, oh, no, what have I done? He goes with that, but when he would say, like, Ibiza, something like that, he would have that yeah. th- 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 in there. You're like, Barcelona. Oh, and he would get upset if you did not pronounce that. And you're like, really? I don't know. I wasn't trained this way in the one. The two is hard. <laughs> they didn't do the lisp in one. It's a nine. Casting it's a nine. nine. Casting nine. Casting nine. Absolutely. Protagonist. Jason Shepard. Totally fine. I would even go as far as saying above average. Frankie Muniz excels in that surprised face that he makes. He does, and he excels in the face of like, I'm having a really good time. Yes. Just the Whenever he opens his eyes wide, you're, Frankie's having a good time. And then he does the thing with the eyebrows where he, he tilts them up like he's Wally. Yes. That's not with eyebrows. That's just flat out eyes. That's totally different. <laughs> but the direction that they go in, that's yeah. what I mean. I don't you yeah. It's mimicking eyebrows, right? <laughs> Wally's got eyebrows. They're just his eyes. Is that how eyebrows work? Because, I, I mean... This might be our chance to break through and have this discussion that we've always wanted to have about eyebrows. And it's been a long time that I've been waiting to have the eyebrow talk. Wally's eyes move in a way that eyes can't. So I only ass- can only assume that it's mimicking eyebrows. But you're saying human eyes can't. Right. Well, obviously, human eyes. Unless you're Marty Feldman. <laughs> Unless you're Marty Feldman. What hump? Frank Muniz <laughs> is very good in this movie. That was a pretty good performance. He Frankie Muniz. He's Frankie Muniz. Like, really hard. And it works. Yeah. Annoyingly, but it works. This guy, right in the middle, which, ironically enough, he was one of four kids, so Reese was just as in the middle as he was. It's true. It's it's weird. Like, maybe we get the spinoff about how Reese is now, like, a fucked up adult middle child. Yeah. Speaking from experience. (laughs) Hey, life is unfair. Seven? For Frank Minas? Seven. I like seven. He's good. He's not great. But he's Frankie Muniz. Totally above average. I don't Exactly. I don't know. Six feels wrong for some reason. I agree. Eight feels ridiculously high. <laughs> That's like Brian Cranston dad level well, we're getting into. Stop it there because you, you better be talking a low end of a Brian Cranston at an eight. <laughs> I am. Like, minimum. I'm talking Trumbo level. Relax, people. (laughs) Brian Cranston as, like, a bad guy on Power Rangers is an eight. (laughs) Minimum on that one. (laughs) All right, seven for Frankie because six feels wrong and eight feels wrong. Antagonist, Marty Wolf. Ten. Eleven. I am totally fine with that. The first half of this movie... I, I was turning to my girlfriend, joking, this man is now uh, nominated for an Oscar. And by the end, I was like, this man should already have an Oscar. <laughs> he absolutely should. This is like one of those overlooked ones of his. And he's not Paul Giamatti of today. It's very different Giamatti. Very different Giamatti. He starts to weirdly explode after this movie. In a really weird way. Have you seen, by any chance, the pictures of him from the premiere of this movie? No. 
He shows up in just like a button-up shirt, untucked. There's a stain on the front. It's not buttoned all the way up. He's just sweaty, and he looks like he just came from somewhere else, like he had way more important things to do than go to the Big Fat Liar premiere. That went the totally different direction I thought you were going to say it was going to go. Like, the first thing I pictured would be Giamatti showing up to anything out in public, kind of like Joe Pantoliano does. <laughs> like leather vest and like a yeah. weird leather biker cap with dangly earrings or some shit like <laughs> rose-colored glasses. No, he just looks like some suburban dad that just left a Chili's and was like, oh shit, I got a premiere to go to. That's why after he won his Golden Globe this year for the holdovers, which is so damn good, he uh, took his Golden Globe to In-N-Out Burger. I, I saw that and loved it. Got to go to In-N-Out Burger, trying to get that, trying to repeat that stain on the shirt from Big Fat Liar. That must be it. He, he knows his lucky charm is just being gross. I also wouldn't be surprised if he had shown up completely blue. He's blue a lot of this movie, like fully blue. And we know he's fully blue because we see a lot of him. So much of him. Funny enough, that dye in the pool did not dye his very small swimsuit. Weird how that works, right? Yeah, it's also weird that he turned blue before he got into the water. <laughs> that is strange. Almost like they just slapped a blue filter on the whole thing and said, yep, we did it. I do appreciate them using less makeup as it went along. They're treating this thing like a reverse Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's with these reverses, right? I don't know why I'm thinking reverse stuff tonight. Everything's in reverse. It's just... It's very weird. Well, if you watch the movie backwards, it's about a kid. <laughs> no, I don't even know. <laughs> If you memento this movie. <laughs> but a kid who gets a screenplay made and then tortures the guy that's... This is like a reverse misery. Yes. It's a In a way. Re reversery. <laughs> what? What? I don't know. <laughs> that seems like some bullshit additive card for like Uno. <laughs> Come and celebrate your reversery by playing Uno on the night that you two did it for the first time under the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> it's like you forgot our anniversary and then you play a reverse card and said no you forgot it it's a reversary Cotter! Ba -ba -ba. <laughs> 11 is that where we are i think we're still talking about paul giamatti and how good he is i, I think so and I, we already decided he's an 11 so let's move on to screenplay written by brian robbins and no one else and definitely not dan schneider yeah, Dan Schneider wrote this thing. He's extremely problematic now. Like, extremely, extremely problematic. Uh, he, he's got some issues. Hanging around all the, the kids at the Nickelodeon. Doing exactly what you think he would be doing. So yep. the screenplay is totally fine and probably above average, tell you the yeah. truth. Again. Agreed. It's not airtight, but it is a fun story. And it's a good goof-em-up. It's a great kids movie. Six! And you put any thought into it, it falls apart. But six, six is right, right there. Style and tone. Early 2000s. Nine. Big time. Big time early 2000s. And no, no, you don't have to explain anything to people who were there and old enough to remember what it was like. This is what it was like. And nailed it. 100%. You got some fun stuff with the backlot stuff and all the, the shenanigans in the the place they're staying, which is just some sort of like prop room. I don't know. Love it. Nine. Found like a big pile of rugs and they're sleeping on that. Very yeah. separately. And a weird Velcro wall and a, and a <laughs> for some reason, a working arcade game. You just turn on the switch in that room and everything comes to life. And you can do a sweet 2000s change in clothes montage. They did it. They did it hard. Frank Muniz got his face real close to that camera. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Nine for style and tone. 
director. Sean fucking Levy. Sean fucking Levy, who has had a fascinating career. This is his first movie. Yeah, he started with kids shows, went into kids movies, then did a couple weird rom-coms and some more comedies, a bunch of Night at the Museums. Then he's working with Hugh Jackman on Real Steel, doing a few episodes of Stranger Things. He does like two a season. And now he's just working with Ryan Reynolds all the time. That's a crazy trajectory from Alex Mack to Deadpool 3. (laughs) When you put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I find his career fascinating. And is he like one of the best known directors in Hollywood? Not really. No. But you know all the stuff he's done. He's definitely getting there, though. I mean, he's getting more and more recognition in everything he does. He is, and he deserves it. He's great. Without Googling anything about his personal life. I want to put that (laughs) disclaimer out there. (laughs) The fact that Disney still has him hired to do a movie next year, this year, shit, it's already 2024, tells me he's, he's, he's clean for now. Good. All right. Perfect. He's hanging out with Ryan Reynolds. How bad could he be? That's a good point. Six. Six. Oh, I mean, there's nothing fantastic in this except for the helicopter shot. The helicopter shot. And and then there's some, there's a lot of weird low angle shots on these kids. 2000s. Big time. Six for Sean Levy. Levy. Is it Levy or Levy? I never knew. The world may never know. Gonna have to wait for an interview on Jimmy Kimmel or something. I'm sure it's out there and we're very lazy. Carry on. Ah, music. Christoph fucking Beck. It blew my mind. Blew my mind, Christoph Beck. And the music in this is fine, again. It's, it's all right. The actual needle drops are phenomenal, though. Little oh, God, Eiffel the 65. On that song is Some so Smash good. Mouth. I mean, to open the movie with a Smash Mouth song post-Mystery Men. You gotta have some balls. Shrek came out the year earlier and heavily featured All-Star, so... Smash Mouth having a moment. They absolutely had, well, this was their moment. This This was their time. And then they just cruised on with royalties. Remember, Come On, Come On? That was the other song we did. Not Walking on the Sun, not All Star, but the other one. Are you guys a rock band? Uh, Kinda. We're whatever category gets us higher on the Billboard chart. That's what we are. That's really what they were, though. They were the chameleons at that time. Them in, like, Third Eye Blind. All kind of feeling out their own spaces and yeah. whatever worked. That I feel like that was a lot of the late 90s, early 2000s. Just like, put me anywhere. I'm Shania Twain. I'm usually country. But yeah, put me on pop st- radio stations. We'll see what happens. But maybe that's why all the songs work. Because all the songs just, are super memorable. Yeah, I know they're implanted. They're for everyone. We're younger at that age. But maybe that's like what Taylor Swift is cracked into. Well, she did the same transition from country to pop. She hit the middle. Yeah. That's all it is. When you land that plane right in that Hudson. <laughs> it's a thing of beauty. Taylor Sullenberg. That's right. I'd watch it weirdly. I would too. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. She's in her Sully era. There it is. And that's what you go with. She's going to have songs about that. and that, But she has to go the other way, like Lockerbie, just to be fair. Get that <laughs> sad right. song in there. <laughs> Christoph Beck. Uh, Oh, fine, <laughs> but Eiffel 65, beautiful. Feels very early 2000s. I love it. Seven. Seven. Works for me. The Eiffel 65 bump. It's rare, but... It was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Next up is Box Office. This movie was made with a $15 million budget. I don't know where that money went to. It certainly didn't go to Tim Allen. <laughs> they uh-huh. offered him $5 million for this movie, and he just never got back to him. He's like, yeah, I'll think about it. 
this was definitely Tim Allen's era too. Oh, big time. He morphed from a complete asshole into a complete asshole. (laughs) But one that people tolerate a little bit less. Because he does a family movie every now and then, he's charming as hell. Opening weekend, this finished second behind Collateral Damage and right ahead of Rollerball. All three were the new releases of the week. They finished one, two, three, which is not common. We are going to have to talk about Rollerball one day. Oh, okay. I'm in. (laughs) We're going to have to. If it's here, great. It could be on the Patreon because that's crappy hour all over. (laughs) But those three movies pushed Black Hawk down, down. (laughs) Yeah. Along with Snow Dogs, Count of Monte Cristo, Beautiful Mind, Walk to Remember, The Mothman Prophecies, and I Am Sam. What a time to be alive. Yeah. Also, those three movies being released this week pushed Fellowship of the Ring out of the top ten. So, it was a good week. You son of a bitch. The movie ended up making $52.9 million, which is a 353% ROI. That is a nine on our scale. That's how you end up with Bigger, Fatter, Liar, the (laughs) sequel to this movie. (laughs) I had no idea even existed. I didn't either. I looked. I was like, about to hit that movie. I'm like, whoa, hold on. That movie looks shitty. And then I looked and found Big Fat Liar, and I went, hold on. That movie looks shitty. (laughs) But that's Frankie Muniz. That's Amanda Bynes. That's Paul Giamatti, and he's blue. That's the movie. That's the movie. To be fair, Bigger, Fatter, Liar does look shitty-er. Fair, they dumb and dumber heard it. Yeah. Before that movie had the chance. Nine. Nine for box office. The final category is impact on the industry. Uh, not big, except for Paul Giamatti. It's not huge. But what was Paul Giamatti doing before this? He was acting. He was in a bunch of stuff. But yeah. he wasn't this Paul Giamatti yet. That's true. Because before this, you had seen him in a Truman Show. Right. And he probably did other things. Other things aside, the Truman Show in 1998, right? <laughs> kind of strikes me as more of a character actor before this kind of role. That is exactly what he was. So I'm not saying this was his breakout role, but this one gets weirdly looked at as... It certainly got eyes on one it. One of the stepping stones to yeah. where Paul Giamatti is now. Weirdly enough that Frankie Muniz, Amanda Bynes movie, neither of them are acting anymore. So, you know, as far as impact, not huge. <laughs> No. Uh, right down the middle, five? I can't believe it. Five. I like five. That is going to give Big Fat Liar a total score of 75. I'm looking up the score right now, and without even opening the page, I know that's too high. That's pretty high. For once again, a Frankie Muniz, Amanda Bynes, Paul Giamatti movie. <laughs> it's insanely high when you say it that way. Critically, this movie has a 45%. Yeah, it checks out. Audiencely, this movie has a 44%. (laughs) What did we do? There was a chunk there where you can't sully. You're going in. No. Unless we started giving out half points, there was nothing we could do there. (laughs) We were getting out of that one. No problem. Wow. We have been pretty far off the last couple weeks. We have been. Between our low usual suspect score and our high big fat liar score. Now, let me ask you this. (laughs) Have we? Because... Last week, I talked about a certain Mr. Roger Ebert and his thoughts on The Usual Suspects. That's true. And he gave it a one and a half star. A Big Fat Liar, he gave it three out of four stars. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) How are we consistent with Ebert? We talked about him so much in the past. We've become him. I think he's actually haunting us. I'm going to go get my jaw looked at. 
You fucked around with the Ouija board back in the day. That's true. And it's finally coming back to bite us in the ass. Yeah, the bite mark is only the top jaw, <laughs> but still it counts. It makes a mark. You, you just you got to angle your head a little differently for sure in order to really get in there. But You really got to get leverage from the neck. He has to want to hate you that much to do it. <laughs> and that needs to hurt more than anything. Just watching that old man completely crane his neck back. Oh, my God. Like he's in the exercise. <laughs> just to slide <laughs> under you, kind of, because he's going to have to get low enough to get the angle yeah. to bite with his top <laughs> jaw. Oh, my God. He has to hate you that much. And that hurts more than the actual that. bite. The effort is what really hurts. Hey, I thought this movie was charming as fuck. Of course he did. It is. Brian, this is my pick. I knocked that yeah, out of the park. You sure did. It is your turn next week, Brian. So why don't you beer us all a movie? Okay, we've been in the 90s, 2000s for a while now, and I feel like we need a, a break from that. Our Do last we know? few it feels our great. last few movies have been 1994, 2001, 1996, 1995, 2002. We've been very consistently in that area. Yeah, the world is terrifying. Growing up is terrifying. This feels like a nice warm blanket. I need this. Okay, well, I have something else nice and warm for you. Oh, God, I'm so excited. And it comes from the early 80s. Right there. Half chub. Half chub. Okay. Let me see if I can if I can get that higher up there. <laughs> I want everybody to hear this. Brian's trying to get me hard. Yeah, <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> I feel like we had a lot of fun on our Patreon a few probably years ago at this point, talking about a little movie called Smokey and the Bandit. Okay. Uh, Three-quarter chub. And I feel like we had a lot of fun a few weeks ago talking about The Fast and the Furious. So I want to talk about another car movie, another Burt Reynolds car movie, but this one also has Dom DeLuise, Roger Moore, Farrah Fawcett, Jackie Chan, and Dean Martin. I want to talk about 1981's The Cannonball Run. Yep, full chub. <laughs> that is an amazing pick. And there's a lot to talk about to go along with it. I sincerely can't wait. That is such a great pick. Next week, the Cannonball Run. Until then, thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and send us your movie suggestions for next month's listener pick. Our Patreon subscribers always get double picks. So sign up for Patreon to get cool stuff like last month's Garbage Pail Kids and this month's whatever we're doing. Possibly in a little caped thing. Yeah, we have no idea. But also, there's know. like three years worth of extra episodes including the aforementioned smoking the bandit episode which was there a lot go. of fun so email us your movie picks questions or comments to beer me a movie pod at gmail.com or follow us on social media at beer me a movie where we always put up a post on our facebook and say hey give us your questions and comments we got a few comments about this thing uh, jeff minor showed in he said is this the same paul giamatti we see in truman show and i don't know if he means canonically <laughs> or if it's just the same guy <laughs> Like, maybe he quit working at the Truman Show in his big moon tower thing, like we yeah. saw him doing in that. That was the whole twist there. He was looking for a job in it. Maybe he got a job. Oh, yeah. It seems like a natural career progression, right? Right. He ruins one man's life in this giant dome until he escapes. He's like, no, wait. I will get them all now. <laughs> it checks out. He goes from being a, a dick to a bigger dick. There you go. Just like you just did. We're all capable of change. <laughs> Kyle Collins from the Experience Grind podcast. He said, it's honestly a good movie. Yeah, right down the middle. Yeah, absolutely. Paul G knew what it was. He had a blast. We all had a blast. It was great. Roger Aver gave it three out of four stars. We gave it 75 out of 100. 
Yeah, we're completely haunted. Brian, you got anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see everybody next week for the Cannonball Run. We'll see you then.